Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Welcome to the Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. All right. I'm not disappointed. I'm not. I'm, I'm not devastated. I'm not even sad. After the Leafs lost game six, maybe even after they lost game five, I was preparing myself mentally, spiritually, emotionally. So I watched last night's debacle with almost complete disinterest. I was actually kind of proud of myself. You know, I felt like the guy whose girlfriend who's broken his heart like 12 times and she asks for just one more chance. And he says, nope. And he means it. That's how I felt. So when I watch the game uh, with my boys, we quickly do a prediction on the final score right after the puck drops. And I said, Habs four, Leafs one. Just like that. Just like that. It didn't even enter my mind that the Leafs might win last night. And it's, it's almost, I don't know how you feel, but it's almost like we got a bit of our normal back. All is right in the universe. The Leafs have made a, a hasty exit after the first round. It felt normal. Everything is as it should be. Uh, for the boys, it's a little harder. It's but but it's best they get used to it now. Maybe we'll get into uh, it a little bit later this hour or the next hour. A little uh, post mortem of the Leafs season and the playoffs and so forth. Who stays? Who goes? That's kind of the fun part, right? That's kind of a nice diversion to uh, salve our wounds is to play the, uh, the part of general manager. Who gets fired? Who gets traded? How much cap space can we clear? All that kind of stuff. All right. Uh, but that's, that's all really nonsense in the grand scheme of things. Totally unimportant. Of course, uh, the discovery of the remains of 250 children near the residential school in Kamloops. Another stark reminder of man's inhumanity to man. And of course, we've known that uh, the, there are that there were First Nations children unaccounted for, but a mass grave. Seriously. This is the best they could do for these poor souls. Uh, I feel totally ill equipped uh, to discuss it. Uh, other than on an emotional level. So we've reached out to Chief Harvey McLeod of the Upper Nicola Band out in British Columbia. He actually spent time 
at that uh, hellhole, as did his siblings and his parents. Imagine, and he, he mentioned this in an interview the other day, he was trying to imagine his parents, who of course, it, it was the law, right? His parents had no choice. They had to take him and his brothers and sisters to this residential school. They had lived through that horror show. And now they were being forced to take their kids and drop them off there. Imagine how they must have felt. And that was actually what he was uh, recollecting. Being taken to that school and, and uh, trying to imagine why his parents were doing it and how they must have felt doing that, dropping him off there. And then he had friends that just vanished and he figured, oh, okay, maybe, maybe they ran away. Maybe they're safe. Now, of course, they're wondering whether those poor souls were among the 250 that uh, were recently discovered. So as I say, we've reached out to uh, Chief Harvey McLeod of the Upper Nicola Band. If uh, we don't get him today, hopefully tomorrow, and uh, we'll put him in the, uh, the feature guest slot. And basically, I'm just going to give him the, the platform and, uh, you know, let him go, let him talk. Horrible, horrible situation. And, you know, uh, we can take down a statue of Sir John A. Macdonald off a park bench in Charlottetown. What's that going to do? This is, this is exactly the kind of pointless posturing and virtue signaling that gets us exactly nowhere. Why don't we tear down a, a statue of Pierre Trudeau, uh, rename the airport? He was PM when that school was still operating. Is he culpable? We need to do some radical surgery on the way we uh, interact with our First Nations people. No more platitudes. How about we start by ripping up the Indian Act and just start over? That might be a good place. Anyway, that discussion uh, likely for another time. I just didn't want you thinking that I wasn't thinking about those 250 tiny souls who were ripped from their parents and then uh, left to die and then thrown into a mass grave after suffering God knows what. Uh, Derek Sloan, independent MP, will be here this hour. He recently voted against a motion that a federal election, this was passed almost unanimously, I believe, by, uh, by the MPs up in Ottawa. It's, it's a motion that a federal election should not be held during COVID. So we'll get his take on that. Uh, our homeschooling expert, Ruth Gaskowski, joins us every Tuesday with some tips and advice for homeschooling parents. And uh, pathologist, Dr. Roger Hodkinson, Royal College trained, I believe he attended uh, Cambridge for his medical degree, and then later did an in, uh, interned in uh, Vancouver, was also the, uh, the chief pathologist for the medical examiner's office in Edmonton. And uh, he's got a thing or two to say about Ontario's reopening plan or non-reopening plan. He recently commented on Alberta's reopening plan. He called it complete twaddle. So uh, he'll be along. That should be interesting. That should be interesting to say the least. All right. Uh, now, I've also, I've also carved out a few minutes here for you to gloat, Lou. You're on the clock. You can begin now. <laughs> well, you know, there's no gloating as much oh, as... Oh, come on. <laughs> what? What? You don't want to gloat? Well, you know, I just, you know, I, I mean, I feel your pain. Wow, you're a better man than I am. Well, I mean, that's obvious, I think, since the very <laughs> beginning. But, you know, I feel your pain. I mean, I'm a Jets fan, right? New York Jets, you know, 
They haven't done anything. How about New York Knicks? Oh, they've been miserable. Once you're a Jet, you're always a Jet. Yeah, from your first cigarette to your last dying breath. There you go. But, you know, so I I feel your pain now. You know, there are problems with the organization. I was trying to think culturally, you know, what could be the problem? Um, You know, they might need a good old fashioned exorcism to get the demon out. Right. (laughs) So you tweeted that out. Yes. Yeah. The, The power of Christ compels you. Leave these people alone. The other thing is, you know, it may just be a case of, you know, um, the fans of the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs are self-flagellates, right? Right, right. Yes. You know, they just like beating themselves up and management knows that. You know, it's kind of like the uh, sadist and the masochist. You know, the masochist says, hurt me. And the sadist says, no. You know. There you go. Here's here's the the other question, Lou. Is they had 550 healthcare workers and they couldn't prevent the team from choking. <laughs> they couldn't get close enough to the ice fast enough. I guess you know. that was it. So you know, and I've been you know to be honest with you, Richard, I've been you know um, on social media putting out all kinds of things like, you know, as the uh, swallows return to Capistrano and the neighbors bring out their lawn furniture, so the Leafs choking in the playoffs is a sign that spring has arrived and all is fine with the world. (laughs) It's true. It's true. I feel like I got a little sliver of my normal back. (laughs) Well, now you can move on to something else, right? Right. Because if the Leafs had actually gone on to the second round, that's I would have felt gift. like I woke That's up a big in. Gift. That's a yes, big I would have felt like I woke up in Bizarro World or something. <laughs> so whatever's going to happen, they're going to figure it all out. And you know, as far as those poor kids in Kamloops, it's not the first, and it's not going. It's the first. It won't be the last such discovery as they go. You know, using that uh, deep uh, radar, ground search radar. And yes. other facilities, there's going to be more. So the question becomes, as a country, are we going to carry this like the Germans carry their Nazi history? I think we should in some way, you know, yes. look at what happened and why. And, you know, the one good thing about it, Richard, is that the Canadian arrogance about we're better than everybody else. We're so much better than everybody else. We're better than the Americans and so on. And maybe that'll be put to rest finally. Yeah, that's that's so true. There is a sanctimoniousness. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. unattractive to those of us that have lived in other countries, right? It's right. kind of like, wow, what are you so proud about? How about this? So I guess every time you run into it, you just got to bring up, oh, the residential schools. Oh, yeah, you did the truth and reconciliation. Now explain the mass graves. Let's see how that works. Right, right. Yeah, like mass graves in the same sentence as Canada. Uh, yeah, let's just let that sink in. And uh, again, like no more, no more platitudes, no more virtue signaling, no more, you know, oh, we're going to sit down and we're going to and we're going to, you know, talk. And, and it's enough of that. Let's just, you know, the number one rule is because those those residential schools were taken over by the government. Right. And and, and so let, let the lesson be learned here. As you have often pointed out, the government is not here to help. What nope. they need to do is just get the hell away from people and and leave them be. Leave us alone. That's and, number one. Yeah. And, you know, I would have to say that anytime the state wants to take your children, you should get a gun. Right. right. Don't give up your children to the state. I don't think anything good will come of it. 
No, no, it's it's just it's it's odious. You know, I'm going to leave the German phrase of the day just because I'm not feeling the mood. right? Yeah, now. I get it. I get it. It's kind of a heavy open for the show. Right. Well, but we'll do it in uh, we'll do it in okay. hour two. Sounds great. Happy All right, capitalism. All right. Loose skeezes. Uh, when we come back, uh, the, the House recently in Ottawa, the House of Commons, recently voted on a motion urging the government not to hold an election as Canadians still grapple with COVID-19. Derek Sloan, independent MPP for Hastings, Lennox and Addington, will be along. Here's the problem. I mean, when are we done with COVID? Who gets to decide that? I mean, they're going to string this along in perpetuity if they can. Does that mean, uh, you know, that that uh, Trudeau gets... Uh, sort of carte blanche on how long he can uh, institute this reign of terror and ineptitude, we'll uh, discuss with Derek Sloan on the other side. The Richard Serrett Show on a Tuesday here on Saga 960. Stay with us. We're back as The Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk Saga 960 AM. All right, welcome back. So recently, the House of Commons voted on a motion urging the government not to hold an election as Canadians still grapple with COVID-19. Here to discuss is uh, independent MP for Hastings, Lennox and Addington, Derek Sloan. Hey, Derek, welcome back. How are you? Hey, good. Thanks. How about yourself? Very well. Thank you. Uh, so this uh, this motion, first of all, explain to my listeners uh, a motion. Is that binding? How does that work? Yeah, so the motion's not binding. It expresses the will of the House, but it's not the same as passing a law. So they could uh, pass a motion on something one day and then pass a law uh, the next day on something entirely different. It does not uh, bind them to do anything. All right. And uh, so how did the vote go? Were you the lone voice, voice in the wilderness? So I was the only person to vote against the motion. Um, I, I mean, I think the whole thing is hypocritical. The, the week before they passed a bill uh, uh, allowing them to do a, a, an election in the pandemic or, or at least procedurally how they do it. And then the next week they're claiming that they're not going to do an election in the pandemic. So uh, it is hypocrisy. It's basically just, you know, everyone knows an election's coming and the parties are now trying to, to, to pin the blame for the election on on somebody else. So that's that's all it is. It's gamesmanship. But it sent a very negative message to Canadians, and I heard a lot of uh, negative feedback about what happened. What would happen if there was a non-confidence vote, uh, and then the government would fall? There would be an election, absolutely. All yeah. right, so, so the, again, it's pointless, it's meaningless. Well, the motion that they did uh, does not change the Constitution, does not change the parameters under which an election could happen. Um, but, I mean, it does send a, a message to Canadians that, uh, I mean, a lot of Canadians felt that, you know, democracy was being somehow uh, suspended during the pandemic. So that isn't the case, but it did send that message to people that, uh, you know, the government felt that they could just continue on forever. I mean, how long is the pandemic going to be? Is it, you know, two weeks, two months, two years? Uh, right, nobody right. knows. And, well, and I think that's why a lot of people were concerned about this. Well, good for you for standing up and, and uh, voting against. I want to ask you, first of all, uh, if you if you wanted to, to make a quick comment on this uh, horrible situation with this residential school and the discovery of the remains of 250 tiny souls, uh, First Nations uh, children. And then because uh, I don't know if, if we connect that to, to Bill C-15, but the idea that uh, uh, Canada now, it's passed third reading, will harmonize its its laws with the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. Yeah, well, it's a, I mean, it's a good uh, it's a good question. And obviously, 
I mean, we need to get to the bottom of what uh, what was going on there. And, and we know generally the, the types of things that were going on, uh, uh, you know, close quarters, cramped living conditions. Uh, you know, they didn't have access to the, the same health care as others did. So, you know, there were outbreaks of different things and, and, and people did die. In fact, I think five times uh, more frequently than an average Canadian child at, at that era, in that era. So I think we do need to ask a lot of questions, get to the bottom of this. My concern with the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People is that, listen, Canada has already, Canada has some of the most significant constitutional protections for Indigenous people in the entire world. And UNDRIP uh, is, a, is a general declaration uh, by the UN, but is not necessarily crafted for the specifics of our country. And I believe our constitutional protections are. And the concern by premiers, for example, that, that wrote a letter in to the parliament uh, about UNDRIP is that it's going to create uh, even more uncertainty when it comes to resource development. And we have seen, for example, in the coastal gas link uh, pipeline where you had, you know, elected band members saying they wanted it. Then you had, you know, unelected uh, uh, band leaders saying, you know, a few a minority saying they didn't want it. We, we are a country that needs to be able to build things, get things done. And I'm afraid of the uncertainty that this uh, bringing this into law will create. I don't have an issue with, uh, you know, looking in the past, trying to right wrongs and that type of thing. But we need certainty and we, we need to be able to open Canada up to business again. This is also a sovereignty issue, is it not? Well, absolutely. I mean, it, there there's it, this opens the door to all kinds of claims uh, and, uh, uh, you know, uncertainties that we haven't faced yet. I think that we have a very, you know, fair process. There's all there, there's already constitutional ways to uh, uh, seek adjudication before the courts on land issues uh, and other types of claims. We need to have some certainty here moving forward. Agreed. Agreed. All right, uh, Derek, thank you so much for your time. Be well, and we'll talk again soon, I hope. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Are you struggling to conceive? You have options, and at Piedmont Reproductive Endocrinology Group, we'll make sure you have the guidance and support you need. Preg is known for individualized fertility care that's unique to every patient. We take the time to provide a reassuring and empowering experience because we believe that you deserve nothing less. Let us help you on your journey to parenthood. Visit us at pregonline.com to learn more. Get the guidance and support you need at Piedmont Reproductive Endocrinology Group. Derek Sloan, independent MP for Hastings, Lennox and Addington. Now, when we come back and in anticipation of Dr. Roger Hodkinson, who will be here in our feature guest segment towards uh, the bottom of the second hour, uh, I'm going to replay an interview we did with uh, a cardiologist, Dr. Peter McCullough uh, from Texas A&M University. He is one of the most published cardiologists in history 
And uh, he's written 37 or between 37 and 40 peer-reviewed papers just on COVID alone. Very uh, qualified, esteemed gentleman who's testified before uh, the U.S. Senate's uh, Homeland Homeland Security uh, Committee, I believe, and Health and Human Services Committees. Um, And I, I was talking with him recently, earlier this month, actually, about things like ivermectin. Uh, again, another study that just came out, I believe now 93 studies that show how ivermectin is uh, effective as a treatment or as a prophylactic, at least, for COVID. And uh, in Australia, we recently learned that physicians there who prescribe ivermectin can receive a jail sentence of up to six months, I believe it is. So uh, we're going to replay that uh, interview coming up next. Dr. Peter McCullough, stay tuned for that. And then it'll be kind of a nice uh um, a primer as we uh, head into an interview with Dr. Roger Hodkinson, famed pathologist from uh, Edmonton, Alberta, trained at the Royal College in uh, London. He'll be here to talk about uh, lockdowns, vaccines, and COVID, all part of the Richard Sarah Show. Stay with us right here on Saga 960 AM. Let's get back at it on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. It's the Richard Sarah Show. Uh, I guess disturbed to say the least uh, to learn recently that doctors in Australia are now facing uh, up to six months in jail if they prescribe hydroxychloroquine to COVID patients. Hard to imagine, but it's true. We're seeing more and more of this. Uh, A number of uh, people are referring to this as therapeutic nihilism. And uh, recently on Tucker Carlson Tonight, uh, our good friend, Dr. Peter McCullough, cardiologist, professor of medicine at Texas A&M, was uh, a guest and uh, and spoke to this issue of therapeutic nihilism. And we're delighted that he uh, he's rejoined us and uh, is here right now. Uh, Dr. McCullough, thanks for coming back. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. What do you mean by therapeutic nihilism? Therapeutic nihilism is a term we use in medicine where doctors and nurses and others tend to uh, direct treatment tend to not direct treatment towards a patient. And it may be for very good reasons. Uh, We see therapeutic nihilism in certain advanced uh, cases of patients with kidney disease on dialysis or patients with cancer where we may say, you know what, it's not worth it to prescribe a cholesterol-lowering medicine because they're at the end of their life. But the therapeutic nihilism we've seen in COVID-19 is extraordinary. I had a chance on Tucker Carlson uh, Live this weekend on Saturday, May 10th, to really have an explosive interview. You saw uh, Tucker just say, you know, you're blowing my mind, is what he said. And I, and I remarked, it's true. We've had cases in Canada and the United States where doctors have declined to give patients life-saving treatment for COVID-19. And you seem to, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I want to be careful here. But, I mean, you said something to the effect of, you know, there's something terribly, terribly wrong going on here. And I was led to maybe to believe you thought maybe something even sinister is, am I going too far? No, I'm just a doctor. I'm just trying to interpret things for my patients. And I told Tucker Carlson that uh, it's going to be up to investigative reporters to get to the bottom of what's going on. I can tell you in the Doctors' eyes are clouded. Their hearts are hardened. They seem confused. They seem fearful of uh, trying to help patients. They're fearful of 
of targeting, reprisal, potentially losing their jobs, losing their medical licenses. There's a dark cloud cast over medicine right now. And Tucker Carlson, of all the U.S. reporters, seems to be really breaking all barriers. Last night, he was on Fox News with a expose about the relationship of National Institutes of Health officials uh, at U.S. academic institutions and really the development of the Wuhan wild-type coronavirus. It looks like it was manufactured in the Wuhan virology lab with the assistance of U.S. stakeholders. Right, right. Uh, There's been the suggestion that the NIH was funding something called gain-of-function research uh, at the Wuhan lab. lab. Um, Maybe could you explain a little bit about what gain-of-function is? Well, I'm certainly not an expert in the investigations. I have had a chance to write the uh, introduction to a book called The COVID-19 Global Predators, We Are the Prey by Peter Bregan. I do point your listeners to that book, which I think is currently a living document. You can get a purchase online, a copy of it, and then get the updated manuscript, which is updated now almost every week. It's I think it's up to 900 documents, which lays out largely some of the evidence that Tucker Carlson revealed last night. But part of this was gain-of-function research. And there was a researcher at University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, who helped the Chinese, uh, in a sense, supercharge the, the coronavirus, the, uh, the SARS-1 virus, which was contagious, to supercharge it. And the changes are actually made in the spike protein. The spike protein is a little uh, spiny uh, structure you'll see on the beach ball of the virus. The spike protein itself causes blood clotting. It causes the immune system to go crazy. It causes the lung injury, uh, the blood vessel injury, and ultimately the fatal demise of the patient. So it was the gain-of-function research that made this virus so deadly in the Wuhan lab. All right, uh, Dr. McCullough, just to stay put, if you could, sir, and we'll take a quick timeout, come back and discuss more. Therapeutic nihilism. What is going on? Back with more in a moment. Stay with us. Just having a little chin wag on the Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. Welcome back. Dr. Peter McCullough, cardiologist, professor of medicine, Texas A&M University, stays with us. And of course, you know, above and beyond everything else, doctors swear an oath to do no harm. I'm trying to understand, trying to get into their head and understand why when someone uh, is perhaps even on a ventilator at death's door, they would be reluctant to uh, administer some of these therapeutics, things like ivermectin or some of the, the steroids that you mentioned uh, earlier. I mean, what is, is, is there any risk at that point of, of harm? I mean, what do they have to lose at that point? I think it started out with an overwhelming sense of fear. And I told Tucker Carlson, remember the very first stories were about personal protective equipment and masks and gloves. That wasn't helping the patient at all. That was trying to protect the doctor or the nurse. And then there became task force meetings and other things. They were never focused on the patient. So COVID-19 never had a focus on the sick patient. In Canada and the United States, where are the COVID treatment clinics? Where are the outpatient treatment protocols? You know, the vast majority of people don't need the hospital. People are sick at home. They need some outpatient care. And so I was the first to break through with two key publications that taught the world how to treat COVID-19 at home. It had a huge effect on the United States and across the world. We're hoping it's having an effect in Canada. But somehow this fear and this sense that we can't do anything has now translated to the inpatient setting where patients are in the hospital. 
And the doctors and nurses have all the resources uh, at their uh, disposal. And we have inexpensive medicines. The most effective, versatile medicine in that scenario is ivermectin. And there are equal numbers of studies, inpatient and outpatient. It really does work. And uh, it's been astonishing in the United States. We've had several cases where the family are begging for ivermectin. The doctors refuse it. We have to get court orders to force them to give ivermectin. And this is standard of care in India, Bangladesh, all over the world. So something is in the minds of doctors and administrators uh, to not do anything that would be considered outside of the orthodoxy. And I'm not sure if this is coming down through government agencies, through hospital administrators, to staff. Uh, in fact, many hospitals have sent out memos, do not give hydroxychloroquine, do not give ivermectin, but they never say what to give. And it's so frustrating. The worst country on this in the world is Australia. They have guidelines. They must have a couple dozen uh, guidelines that say that to not to tell doctors what not to do, but they never constructively lays out a treatment protocol of what should be done. Well, at the risk of sounding you know, conspiratorial and going after big pharma, it sounds like some of those therapeutics, based on your Senate uh, testimony, uh, some of those therapeutics were gaining traction. And then along came the vaccine. And it seems like they just disregarded anything but getting a jab. Uh, could you comment on that? Once it became known that the virus was going to be addressed with a vaccine, it does appear as if almost all research efforts were dropped. Uh, World Health Organization, National Institutes of Health, others, they dropped any hope at multi-drug uh, treatment protocols for COVID-19. And so the idea became, Richard, that we were just going to play defense, wear a mask, get a vaccine. Remember, those don't help sick people. We were just going to let the casualties pour in and then play defense and try to get out of the crisis that way. I'm worried about that. United States now, we already have 9,000 cases and they're thought to be tenfold underreported. We could have 90,000 cases of breakthrough infections, fully vaccinated people getting COVID. And the hospitalization rate is 9%. It looks just as bad as the original COVID. So this idea of playing defense and winning, I think your listeners would understand, you gotta play offense and defense. Playing offense is treating the virus and treat it early at home and contain these hospitalizations, reduce mortality, reduce spread, and then play defense. And you gotta play both sides of the, of the line. Right, well, you just said something that's quite shocking. Are you suggesting that, the, the, that there's a very real potential that these vaccines are not effective at all? No, I think they're effective. The data suggests they're effective. Israel is having very good results right now, although the, the viral prevalence may not be uh, terribly high. But in the United States, we have a cumbersome way of trying to identify breakthrough cases that actually involves uh, getting a test report and then contacting the person to figure out if they are vaccinated. But the bottom line is, and the estimates are, it's probably tenfold underreported, but the CDC already has 9,000 cases. It's on their website, fully vaccinated, and they have COVID, and 9% are being hospitalized. Uh just, we just have about a minute or two here. Uh, a couple of questions. One is, um, are you concerned about the adverse reactions to uh, the vaccines? Are they being underreported and uh, are, are there, is there cause for concern? The adverse reactions are coming in the U.S. through a website called openvaers.com. It's a very important website. And what the CDC says on all of its pages, it says consult the VAERS system to understand your risks. And what we know there. Uh, as of um, uh, uh, the last week in April, uh, we have over 3,500 deaths and we have over 10,000 hospitalizations now. 
This is staggering. Uh, for a large vaccine program like influenza, that number would be about 200. So, yes, there's a concern regarding uh, safety, and there are calls, and I'm one of the doctors calling for an independent data safety monitoring board. Somebody's independent of government agencies and big pharma. We need to independently look at the safety of the program and then figure out how to make it safer. The vaccine centers are quickly emptying out. Uh, everyone knows somebody who's either died or been injured with the vaccine, and people's appetite for the vaccine has waned considerably. Uh, last last question. Uh, antibodies. If you had COVID and recovered, uh, how long will, will that immunity last? The antibodies uh, a- after the natural infection go up and they go up to the spike protein, the nucleocapsid, pretty broad-based antibody response, and there's T-cell, natural killer cell, and innate immunity. So the natural infection is wonderful. And what we know there from antibody and from T-cell tests that um, uh, the immunity is permanent. Now, the antibodies will trail off at six to nine months, but the T-cell immunity is permanent. And just like it is for SARS-1, we expect decades of immunity afterwards. Patients who have COVID recovered do not need the vaccine. They, They cannot improve a perfect immunity. Now, with the vaccine, the antibodies go up higher, but they're just to the spike protein, and then they trail off after six to nine months, and we don't know about T-cell immunity. It doesn't look too good so far for the vaccine. So they're already talking about uh, vaccine boosters and uh, trying to nurse it along that way. Dr. Pina McCullough, I really appreciate your time. This is um, astounding uh, information you're providing and uh, greatly appreciated. Thank you. Back to the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. Richard Serrett here, along with the wilderness doc, Cass Ingram. I keep hearing about how black seed oil is good for so many things, Cass. Tell me more. It's huge for the heart and also the digestion and elimination, plus the skin. It was Nefertiti's beauty secret. So then if you have skin conditions, use the black seed oil topically and internally. And for your heart, lungs, kidneys, digestive system, wonderful capsules are available with fennel and cumin. Check your local health food store or the oil. Just take a teaspoon every day. This is a safe thing to take daily so you don't get sick so you keep your heart good and you stay strong in your digestive tract skin renal support and more freshly cold pressed black seed oil from north american urban spice available at fine health food stores across the gta order online at oregano.com that's o-r-e-g-a-n-o-l 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 cold pressed black seed oil from oregano.com All right. Welcome back. Well, every Tuesday, we offer some uh, tips and advice for prospective homeschooling parents and for homeschooling parents in general. And Ruth Gaskowski is uh, with us. Uh, She's a a veteran of uh, homeschooling. Ruth, welcome back. How are you? Hi, Richard. Excellent. We got to enjoy some nice uh, cool down time in Elora Gorge this afternoon on this sunny day. So one of the benefits of homeschooling of stepping out for an early day field trip. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Well, that is a real jewel of Ontario, the Elora Gorge. For anyone who hasn't been there, they really need to get out there and see it. So we have such, uh, I think, you know, we have a pretty good here in Canada in terms of the freedom to homeschool pretty much unfettered. Uh, but it's always nice to have kind of some backup, some legal backup, right? So tell us about something called the Homeschool Legal Defense Association. What is it? Why do we need it? Sure. 
All right. Well, uh, HSLDA, for short, um, is an organization that has its roots in the U.S. and was founded there in uh, 1983. Now, this was during a time where homeschooling was not mainstream and it was not specifically legal to homeschool. So this organization, uh, which is nonprofit, was, was started up in order to defend the rights of families to homeschool. Uh, we have a HSLDA offshoot here in Canada for uh, Canadian families. There's a few thousand members. And um, when it started out, it's it kind of represented uh, families who had to maybe stand up to school boards who applied pressure on them to send their kids to school because they had uh, financial incentive to have students there at school because they receive grants for each child that attends or homeschooling families that faced harassment, maybe possibly from neighbors who called up social services, seeing children out playing and wondering why they weren't at school. So over these last 25 years, they have worked to support families and are in great part to be thanked that homeschooling is now legal everywhere in Canada. Right. And uh, I was a member, my wife and I, we were, we joined when we homeschooled our twin boys for four years, uh, you know, right. Touch wood, thank God, we never we never needed them. But there was more uh, resources than just you know having to go to them in case of some you know legal issue. Uh, I, uh, there was uh, all sorts of resources they provided. I think there was a newsletter and and news on on homeschooling uh, rules and regulations and so forth. What else did the what else does the HSLDA provide? Yeah. I would say they provide guidance, um, especially for new families who are thinking of homeschooling. They're the go-to place. So if you have any questions, they provide answers and advice for small and large questions. Uh, This year, they've also started up a digital library that has thousands of resources and curriculum support, even a French book section or a section uh, for families who have children with exceptional needs. Um, they even have a curriculum choice quiz. As we know, there's so many different curricula out there and it might be hard to figure out what fits with me and my child and their learning styles. And I took the quiz last night and it pegged me right on. Uh, so you kind of fill out, you know, what's important to me? Is scheduling important? Uh, what style do I like? And what, what's my budget? And it can kind of help match you up with the correct direction to move in. Um, they have very useful uh, downloadable forms to help you contact your local school board if you're writing to them to apply to homeschool uh, or to inform them that you will be homeschooling. And uh, what was useful for me, um, if you're attending a group, they also provide liability insurance. So once we're allowed to go out again and meet for sports events or have a, a group event organized, it's some places require you to have liability insurance and they provide that for you. And, All right. Um, yeah. Again, that's. I can I, go on. But oh, you can no, also well, go no, to please do. No, please do. I just wanted to remind people that's the, the Homeschool Legal Defense Association or the HSLDA uh, for short. And I'm trying to remember what the uh, the yearly fee was. It was minimal. Uh, $75, yeah, so $100. If you're part of a group, it's uh, $156 per year. And it's well worth it because, again, they provide a lot of services uh, because it, uh, if you have to pay for insurance, that's a heck of a lot more expensive if you have to get liability insurance. Or if you ever do need legal support, having to pay for lawyers is very expensive. If right, you are right. their member, this is included. Those right. are and free like, 
you'll likely never yeah. need the legal, uh, uh, but it's nice to have that peace of mind. Exactly. It's, it's very unlikely um, that, and very rare that you would need legal support. <clears throat> but let's say you live in a province like Quebec, which has made it quite a bit harder for families to have freedoms in homeschooling. Um, there you might want to have uh, a resource to turn to and um, at times maybe need some representation. And they even provide representation. Let's say you want to apply to university and you don't quite know how to navigate that for your child, um, how to get them in, or if the university is giving you a roadblock, <clears throat> they help to support you and represent you, um, even for uh, specific trades that your child might be applying to. So they can provide um, a lot of resources that um, might be hard to figure out on your own because they have a lot of experience in this. All right. And... and yeah, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> so they stepped up uh, during this year, I was going to say, they actually created a site called homeschool.today. And uh, because homeschooling has doubled, not just in Canada and the U.S., but in countries around the world. And a lot of families are finding, um, even though COVID might have been the stepping stone to homeschooling, they're realizing, hey, this is something that's working for us. We like the ac academics. We like that our family can be together. We're less stressed. And homeschool.today really has all the questions you could possibly want to have answered and all the steps and all the resources. So this is something they put together specifically this year for families who are starting out. And right. um, if they yeah. go to uh, humanitasfamily.net, your website, is there a link there for the HSLDA? All the links are there. That's right. Okay. Yeah. If you just go to the resource link, it's right there. And I think um, I wanted to point out, you know, uh, we might say, look, we have freedoms here to, to homeschool. We have the right to homeschool. Um, but as we saw this year, uh, our fundamental freedoms and rights can quickly be taken away if we don't defend them. So HSLDA plays a very important role in defending and advocating for us, even at the federal level, uh, with bills such as C6, which can uh, impact homeschool families and their freedoms to teach their children what they would choose to teach them. So they, they work at the federal, federal advocacy level as well to defend and continue to defend our, our rights as homeschoolers. No, that's an excellent point. If there's a, a lesson to be learned over the last 15 months, it is exactly that, that we can no longer uh, take our fundamental rights uh, for granted because they, they evaporate before our eyes as we are seeing almost on a daily basis. And once you lose them, very difficult to get it back. So, um, you know, who knows what the, the future might uh, hold in terms of rules and regulations concerning homeschooling. Particularly, I think if it becomes more and more popular, uh, we know that the, the power of teachers unions, particularly in this province and the pressure that they could apply to the government, uh, you know, maybe, maybe yeah. to stem the tide of that trend, because, you know, it's 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 about job security at that point for, for many teachers. Uh, it actually is. And, and uh, they are actually cu currently working because schools are seeing uh, students slip away through their fingers. And as I said, they do have a financial incentive on keeping them. So um, they, they, HSLDA does think that it's actually beneficial for school boards as well to see that they might need to work a bit harder to keep parents interested in them because parents are seeing that academics uh, are well provided for in homeschooling. So it might make the schools work a little harder in making sure that students are educated well. That's an excellent point. I never thought of that. So having homeschooling as an option 
will 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 or could lead to improvement in the public school educational system because now they have competition. Excellent point. Yeah. All right, Ruth. We'll uh, we'll talk again next week. Again, the website for all of these resources and some great articles. Humanitasfamily.net. Humanitas. H U M A N I T A S. Humanitasfamily.net. We've also linked up to it on my show page at Saga960AM.ca. All right, Ruth, you have a great week. We'll talk again next week. All right. Talk to you next week, Richard. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Hour two awaits. News, not in the news with Lou. Uh, perhaps Brandon and I will do a bit of a post-mortem on the Leafs' season and their quick exit from the playoffs. And, of course, in our feature guest segment, Dr. Roger Hodkinson, CEO, Medical Director of Western Medical Assessment, former pathologist with the City of Edmonton, back with more. Stay with us. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. The Richard Serrett Show continues on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. All right, uh, stand by. The bottom of the hour, pathologist Dr. Roger Hodkinson. Uh, this guy brings some heat, I'll tell you. He doesn't mince words. He's... Uh, I'm sure he's been banned multiple times on various social media platforms for the things he's had to say. I know he sort of first caught uh, our attention way back in the uh, the early days of uh, the pandemic and the lockdown when he spoke at a public meeting uh, before uh, city officials in Edmonton, where he once served as the pathologist for that city's medical examiner's office. And uh, basically... Uh, he hasn't really changed his tune, talking about the ineffectiveness of lockdowns, of, uh, of um, masks and so for social distancing uh, because of the aerosol, aerosolized uh, character, uh, characteristic of this, of this uh, virus. You can, you can stand six feet apart. You can stand 60 feet apart. Makes uh, not a whit of, of difference, according to Dr. Hodkinson. And I must say, much of the, the, uh, the data that I've seen. So uh, he'll be here at 5, uh, 530. He, he recently referred to, I love this, he recently referred to Alberta's reopening uh, plan as uh, complete and utter twaddle. And uh, uh, we'll see what he has to say about Ontario's reopening plan. You heard, uh, you heard Brandon there uh, at the top of the hour with the news. It doesn't look likely that uh, our schools, our, our children will be returning to school before the fall. And then who knows, who knows? Such uncertainty, uh, also unnecessary when we look at, uh, you know, the way other jurisdictions, particularly Florida, um, Texas, now much of the United States continuing to open up. Maybe this is why this is why our crime minister, Gropy Blackface, uh, does it, it says he's in no rush to open the border with the United States. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. 
The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. When I was diagnosed with cancer, it felt like my whole world came tumbling down. Patient Advocate Foundation is here for you, providing free one-on-one practical support to patients with a cancer diagnosis. Call us at 800-532-5274. Patient Advocate Foundation can assist in navigating disability benefits and health insurance options. PAF also helps in accessing vital services, medications, and financial resources for both medical and household expenses. Visit patientadvocate.org or call 800-532-5274. Why do you think that is? I'll tell you why I think it is. It's because he doesn't want us crossing the border, driving down there and seeing what normal looks like. And all of a sudden sort of uh, reboots our memory banks and we remember what it was like. We come back and say, hey, why can't we have this? We should have this. Maybe that's what's behind keeping that border closed. It's like, you know, it's like Brigadoon up here. It's the land that time forgot. All right. Uh, also, uh, maybe I'll uh, put the arm on Brandon here at about a quarter after, and we'll we'll do a little postmortem of our own on the uh, the Maple Leaf season and their hasty exit, uh, their seasonal exit from the uh, the playoffs in the first round. But before all that, news not in the news. The news. Hey, Lou. Hey, Richard. So you're going to get together with Brandon and you're going to have like a uh, a pity party. Uh, we, we might there might be a little commiserating, but mainly I thought it might be fun, actually, just to do a little bit of a postmortem and talk about, you know, this to me is the fun part. We get to play general manager in our head. Who stays? Who goes? How do we clear up some cap space? You know, maybe who do we go after? How do we how do we improve the team? Right. Because we're emotionally invested. And uh, this this way, you know, we can we can turn this debacle into uh, into something fun. All right. Well, you know, uh, you know, have you considered another sport like badminton? The Leafs should consider another sport. Maybe right. Mitch Marner should take up uh, high lie right. or something. There yeah, you, go. you know, a little shuffleboard, <laughs> something that you know they might be able to win at. You know, you never know. Well, I was I was on Twitter early this morning having my coffee and uh, Don Cherry grapes. Uh, a resident of uh, Mississauga here uh, was up tweeting very early, I noticed, and he made an interesting point. He was referring to some movie with uh, with Jack Dempsey, the, the great uh, heavyweight boxer, Jack Dempsey. OK, I guess he appeared in a movie or he was anyway, his well, wife Tom was a, would know <laughs> he was there. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Don's getting he's pretty spry, but he's getting up there. No question. But he was referring to Jack Dempsey. He said something to his wife. Uh, Jack Dempsey did. His wife was a movie star. He says, you know, it's pretty tough, you know, when you're making I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but making big money and you're wearing silk shorts, it's pretty tough to get up at 4 a.m. to do your road work. You know? <laughs> so the idea here is here we have this kid, Mitch Marner, 23 years old. What's his uh, what's his cap? He had it's like ten point nine million dollars a year, ten point nine. And I'm just thinking, you know, I think there's a lot of truth to that, that there's no quicker way to spoil an athlete than especially when they're young 
than to take that hunger away from them. And how do you do that? You, you, you know, you pay them exorbitant amounts of money up front. Where's the motivation at that point? Well, I think that you also got to look at the insurance aspect of getting your money up front, Richard, right? You get hurt. They're dropping you like yesterday's newspaper. Listen, okay. I don't begrudge them the money. I'm not yeah. saying that, but yeah. I'm saying that, that that can't help but but uh, impact a player's attitude and character and drive. I don't know about that. I mean, all the athletes that I've known, they do it because they love the sport. I don't think he doesn't love the sport. I'm sure he hoped to have a better playoff, but... You know, somebody figured out how to choke off the uh, the offense, right? The big four for the Leafs, they didn't show up. I mean, uh, Tavares was hurt. But anyway, at 15, you can have your pity party. I would highly recommend the Leafs look at badminton as a, you know, kind of a pivot to something they could be more successful at. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Hey, come on, it's an Olympic sport. Okay, and this just for the record, it's not a pity party. Oh, okay. it's not a pity party. Okay, I, I think I I I explained I explained myself at the uh, top of the show when I said I sort of baked my that disappointment and all of that into the equation. I watched the game with a with a totally disinterested outlook. In fact, I predicted the score would be four to one for the Habs right after the puck dropped. Uh, so I'm over it. Okay. I'm okay. I'm All okay. Right. What about Brandon? I'm okay. You're okay. Is Brandon, Brandon okay? Is he okay? I don't know. Well, I'll, I'll find out right. in about 15 minutes. Okay. You want to do a little, uh, we didn't get to the German phrase. Yeah, of the day. let's go. All right. Opa. Okay. It's, you know, what's amazing is how I don't pick these with any theme in mind, but they always seem to make sense for what's going on that day. So today's German phrase of the day is Ich glaub ich spinne. Ich glaub ich spinne. That I ich part it. is kind of hard. Ich, ich, yeah, yeah. ich. Well, I keep working. Keep working. <laughs> ich glaub ich spinne. The literal translation is I think I spider. I think I spider. <laughs> so the meaning, Lou, is I think I'm going crazy. So spinning can mean spider or spinning yarn. So the idea is you're about to spin out of control. It doesn't make you it doesn't make much sense when you translate it literally, obviously, but then again, maybe the fact that you would that would prove your point. <laughs> Well, I love it. And, you know, I um, continue to send the German phrase of the day to my friends of German origin, and they're all enjoying it. We oh. have to get, you know, we have to get to the uh, German Canadian clubs across the country with this promotion. No, I've been negligent in that regard. It's it's a great idea. And um, 
I don't know if I'm telling tales out of school. You sent me, a, I think it was a brilliant idea, and that was to get David Hasselhoff. Or somebody person, like that. Right, who is of German ancestry and who's very big we in German. Afford, at, at a price we can afford. <laughs> yes, yes, which would be what? A jar of preserves? <laughs> some uh, sausage and sauerkraut. Yes, that's right, some sauerkraut. Well, yes, exactly. Uh, but get, uh, get David Hasselhoff to do the uh, German phrase of the day. All right. So I wanted to ask you about this. This is, you know, uh, not surprising, but uh, Trudeau's COVID-19 spending, it turns out, was tilted towards high earning Canadians. In fact, the highest earning families were the biggest beneficiaries of our crime minister's pandemic aid. Uh, and the top 20%, Lou, the top 20% of income earning families received an average of $6,728 from emergency COVID-19 assistance programs and uh, the lowest earning households got $4,097 in aid on average. So there you go. Uh, the people who needed at least got the most. Not surprising. Well, they're all, you know, entitled to whatever the citizenship is entitled to, however you define it, right? Whether it's at the top of the game, you know, but when you say $6,500 to me, you know, what comes to mind. I always look at money as what can it buy? Looks like a used car. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. When I was diagnosed with cancer, it felt like my whole world came tumbling down. Patient Advocate Foundation is here for you, providing free one-on-one -on -one practical support to patients with a cancer diagnosis. Call us at 800-532-5274. Patient Advocate Foundation can assist in navigating disability benefits and health insurance options. PAF also helps in accessing vital services, medications, and financial resources for both medical and household expenses. Visit patientadvocate.org or call 800-532-5274. Like, you know, at, at the top end of the game, $6,000 might cover one month's uh, visa bills for some families, right? Right, right. So, you know, yeah. it's like not really, but at the bottom end, $4,000, I mean, what multiple of their net worth would you say that is? You know, I mean, when I look at it and knowing that 53% of Canadians uh, were $200 away from insolvency, $4,000, a big kick. Sure, sure. It is. You know? You're right. Here It is. No question. That's how you buy votes, baby. <gasps> You're going to do we that for it. me? With You're going to give money. me all that money? That's 20 right. times my net worth today? Oh, my <laughs> God. Uh, very quickly, Lou, not yeah. a lot of time here, but uh, Naomi Osaka has uh, pulled out of the French Open after she refuses to talk to the press. She says that she's uh, incredibly uh, shy, painfully shy, 
uh, almost bordering on some sort of a mental illness where she uh, it's very painful and difficult for her to speak to the press. And she was fined before that. She was fined something like $15,000 on another occasion. Now she's gone and told the world, you know, I can't I can't speak to the media. And uh, so she's pulled out of the French Open. And I don't know, to me, that that's part of the job, isn't it? Like speaking well, to the media. Hold, hold the phone. When you're talking about people that have a mental issue like depression, right? That's what I uh, read about uh, Osaka. And I said, listen, you're going to force somebody who's mentally fragile to do something that frightens them. You, well, how about an intervention? Like maybe we can get you some help to get through this and the next maybe for the next. But they threatened her. We're going to fine you. We're going to prevent you from uh, entering other tournaments and so on. And I, I thought it was good on her to say, you know what? Keep your tournaments. I'm happier not doing it. And let's see how your gait and your response is. They're looking pretty shabby, to be honest with you, Richard, for putting the uh, boots to this young lady. Well, I don't know. She's she's not exactly the the darling of the uh, the tennis world. I mean, because she's uh, not white and blonde, right? No, 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 no. no, no, Let me walk you through the numbers. okay? Maria Shaparova, who is no big deal on the circuit always earned more than Serena Williams, who is the beast winning everything. Now you explain that to me. Well, that, that might be true for it the, is you know, true. The, the tennis association, but I'm talking about, I'm talking about fans. You know, Osaka is, we, you know, has been described as being kind of churlish and um, uh, I don't know, disingenuous, disrespectful. Uh, she's not a fan favorite. Let's I don't know about I don't know about that. First of all, uh, I can assure you she's a huge success in Japan. Oh, yes. That's no a question. key market. That's a key market. Of course. Of course. You know, and, you know, as far as her appeal in other markets, well, you know, maybe she should dye her hair blonde to be more in vogue with the you know expectations of the uh, tennis uh, overlords. Right. Well, the overlords are one thing. I'm just talking about what I hear from fans and, and yeah. on social media. And well, so yeah, forth. your your kids are involved in uh, tennis, right? You'd be right, closer right. to it than me. But when I saw it, I said, "Oh, you want to play? Uh, you want to play bully with a mentally fragile woman?" Well, Good if that's the that. case, then you're, well, you're right. That, that I, if that's the case, the case, she's claiming she's claiming that that's the case. But you know, if she is that fragile, how can she compete at a under those pressures? No, Never mind she, speaking to the media. No, no. But Richard, she says I can do the job on the court. I just don't want to. Be, I can't do this other thing. So is it really the job? I thought the job was to play tennis. Well, it's, you know, it's, part, of at, it's part of the job. Look at Pete Sampras. He was a great champion, but everybody thought he was boring. So he never really got all the stroke of other tennis champions, right? Right, right. So, all right. You know, You've I, made your position clear, sir. Yeah, and, you know, I'm in conflict with my wife over that. Ah, interesting. But, all right. We'll have to chat more. Okay. All right. Have a uh, great show. I'll be back thank you, my you friend. tomorrow. Happy you capitalism. Got it. Happy capitalism. Brandon, saddle up. We're going to talk some Leafs when we come back. Back with more of the Richard Serra Show. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. All right. Just a few minutes here before uh, Dr. Roger Hodkinson joins us. And I I wanted to uh, bring you on, Brandon, my uh, capable producer and, of course, our uh, news anchor at the top of the hour to talk about a little postmortem on uh, the Leafs uh, playoffs 
their hasty exit from the playoffs, maybe their season. And maybe we could talk a little bit about, you know, this is territory. I'm not real, uh, not an expert. Let's put it that way uh, in terms of who should stay, who should go and how salary caps and who's, you know, protected and so forth. But uh, you just give me your thoughts on, on uh, the Leafs performance during the uh, game seven. Uh, I thought it was very, very sluggish. Um, I think in a lot of the, I mean, in the last uh, three losses, obviously after um, going up three, one in the past three games, they've every single one of those games, you can look and find that they had a very bad start to the game. Either they gave up uh, some early goals in the first period or such as yesterday, the first period was scoreless, but they just, they seem like they just didn't, they didn't want it. They didn't, they didn't forecheck hard in the boards. They didn't uh, get dirty in the corners and try and really, you know, have some want to get the puck. But yesterday they didn't have it at all. That's at least my, what I know. I think you're, I think you're exactly right. And, and, you know, to to take a a phrase from uh, ex coach Babcock, they didn't start the game on time. And even I think Mitch Marner uh, alluded to that in either after game five or game six, we didn't start the game on time, which means, you know, Exactly what? I don't know. You're a highly paid professional. You would think that's the first thing, you know, that you would you remind yourself, okay, the game starts and I should be ready to go. So how could you as a professional uh, with a straight face actually say we didn't start the game on time? Uh, So you're right. There was no fire in their belly. There was no there was no sense of urgency. I would say with with um, games five, six or seven. And uh, that, to me, is a character issue. And uh, I don't know how you coach character. So that's very concerning. And, you know, I, I saw a, a, a Twitter post today, uh, FBI Canada wanted Mitch Marner and, uh, did you see this? And Austin yeah, I've Matthews. seen that multiple times. <laughs> right, right. And I, I was kind of laughing and uh, the mighty Aphrodite said, come on now, you know, be, be easy because these, these uh, two young youngsters Two youngsters, they have uh, parents, right? And nobody wants to hear their their children, you know, talked about that way. Having said that, you think it's time to uh, to move Mitch Marner? He's 18 games in the playoffs without a goal, and uh, he's just maybe he's not built for the playoffs. Yeah, I really, I, I mean, I it's I I get it. I mean, it's hard. It's my I mean, like these guys are you know a little bit older than myself, and I'm 21, so. Um, you know, certainly if, it, you know, obviously if I had that kind of pressure, you know, it's, it's, it's killer. It definitely gets you. It obviously got to Marner, you know, such as the game six with the puck over glass, the Leah game gets a, you know, pretty crucial penalty right. against this team. Uh, and then the yesterday. Puck up, pop the puck up to uh, Gallagher, you know, what's that yeah. old rule, right? You never give the puck away, you know, yeah. five feet within your blue line or their exactly. blue line. Exactly. Detrimental. And it, I mean, it's just, and yesterday he had, he had, a, he, he even said himself in the press conference, I had a couple of chances, but just couldn't put away. I have to do better. Everybody's press conference was very similar. I have to do better. And you know what? When is that better going to come? For me, if you're getting paid, yeah, you know, it's somebody's kid, but you know, not everybody's kid is getting paid nearly $11 million, such as Marner. And these guys are supposed to come up and perform in the playoffs. And they haven't, they haven't. Right, right. So when you look down the roster, uh, and this, I guess, you know, this falls partially on on uh, Kyle Duas. You've got, yeah. uh, you've got uh, Matthews, eleven point six million uh, cap hit. You've got Tavares, eleven million, but he's got a no move clause, mm-hmm. which means they'll have to protect him in the expansion yeah. draft. They, uh, so sure. they can't move Tavares. 
And then you've got Marner, 10.9. Nylander now at, at 6.9, uh, performed very well during the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, you wouldn't even look twice at that contract, except for the fact that you've already paid Matthews 11.6 and, and Marner almost 11. Uh, so I don't know. I'd keep Matthews. I'd keep Nylander. Uh, for Hyman, maybe if he gives us the hometown discount, mm-hmm. you offer him, you know, because he deserves a bump. He uh, does. Maybe he does. three, 3.5, maybe. I don't know what it is. Yep. We pay him. Uh, there's your core. And yep. um, all the rest, you know, even Riley, I think it might be yeah. time to say goodbye to Riley. He's in his yep. prime. Uh, now, trade him now that they can get get something for him. He's making five. I don't know what he's going to expect, you know. Uh, I don't know. When Certainly the contract. Yeah. So I think they've got a clear house and starting at the top president, general manager, coach, and mm-hmm. uh, their core would be uh, Nylander, Matthews uh, and Hyman. What do you yeah. think? The, just this, the sad part is that the, the players that I believe performed extremely well are your older core guys that are, you know, such as Jason Spezza, who, you know, is, you know, nearing the end of his career. I'd and sign him again. Notably, their best player, I would say. I agree. I would. I agree. I would. I would sign him again next year. You know exactly. You know, uh, Nick Foligno maybe didn't do too much, and he was kind of battling with injuries. But that's kind of a little bit of a disappointment. Um, but uh, no, it was disappointment all around, especially from these guys that are getting paid, like you said, massive salaries, and they're taking up all your cap. And within this cap friendly world that we currently live in in the NHL it's kind of tough to you know try and structure and make your team better like Lou said the other day it was a good point you can't there's not really a time to make a dynasty nowadays you just can't do that so I don't know they just I don't want a dynasty I want one lousy cup (laughs) I I just want to get past one round Richard yeah touche all right Brandon thanks pal we'll talk again later Brandon DuPont all right when we come back Dr. Roger Hodkinson you'll want to stay tuned for this the Bull Session continues on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. All right, welcome back. Dr. Roger Hodkinson caused a bit of a stir last, last November when he said the virus is no worse than a bad flu. And now the senior Alberta doc is calling Premier Jason Kenney's reopening plan in Alberta absolute twaddle. Let's see what he has to say about Ontario's uh, lockdown and uh, reopening plan, vaccines, and much more. Dr. Hodgkinson, welcome. Thank you for joining us. How are you? Oh, it's my pleasure. All kinds of facts need to get out there, and uh, I really appreciate the opportunity. So I know you're in Alberta, and you've referred to Premier Kenny's reopening plan as complete twaddle. I don't know to what extent you can comment on our reopening or non-reopening plan we have in Ontario, phasing it in three phases depending on vaccination rates and so forth. Can you comment on Ontario's reopening plan? If you're doing the same thing over and over again and you're not seeing any difference in um, effect, obviously it's uh, Einstein's definition of stupidity. Let me be very, very blunt here. If you say that masks don't work, which they don't, if you say that social distancing doesn't work because it can't, because of aerosol production, if you say that lockdowns are creating much more harm than any benefit, which is extremely well documented, If you pull all that together, you say one thing, nothing works, simply because nothing could work, nothing's worked in the past with influenza epidemics, nothing is going to work this time. 
Medicine has to accept its total impotence at controlling this pandemic and accept that we must accommodate to it in practical ways. And I'm talking here as a very evidence-based physician who's had a lot of responsible roles, both provincially and nationally. It's simply impossible to control this genie. We've never done it with any other upper respiratory tract infection, and we can't do it with this one. The politicians are, are constantly morphing the game, trying to get off the hook. Look, they created a very artificial problem. There never was an emergency. And they used the predicate of this self-declared emergency to warrant the introduction of a highly experimental, very unsafe vaccine. So what they're essentially saying is, we created an artificial problem, and it's now up to you, useful idiots, to get us politicians off the hook by subjecting yourself to extremely unsafe experimental vaccines. What utter gall they have to ask us to get them off the problem that they created. To what extent, Dr. Hodkinson, are these lockdowns designed to cover the inefficiencies, shortfalls of our public health care system? It's totally arbitrary. There's never been any evidence in, in the history of medicine for quarantine, quarantining the healthy. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out that if you shut down the economy for all these ridiculous reasons, that you're going to protect granny in the nursing home. It's just ludicrous. It's, in, it's intuitively ridiculous. And yet they're doing the same thing over and over and over again. We keep hearing about not wanting to overwhelm our hospitals and our ICU units. And that was, I guess, what I was referring to earlier. The, the idea that our, our ICU units are always around 90% capacity. Yes, but right, right, right now, this whole precautionary principle, this idiotic precautionary principle for a problem that doesn't really exist, has resulted in empty wards, the constant delaying of major surgery, pain, people with arthritic joints are being constantly, you know, the surgery is being constantly postponed, cancer investigations postponed, all kinds of things being postponed. There's going to be a tsunami of medical procedures required with associated, with deaths associated with the delay. These, these, these politicians are simply idiots. It's politics playing medicine. They haven't a clue what they're doing. Everything that, and, and the lies, the deceit, the manipulation of statistics, it goes on and on and on, trying to dig themselves out of the hole that they created. It's simply outrageous. In Ontario, our provincial government just rammed through another seven months of emergency powers so that uh, now uh, they will have the ability to rule by decree from behind closed doors until December. One has to ask, you know, what do they know that we don't know? They have a reopening plan, and yet now they're saying they need emergency powers until December. So how do we get out of this? We're looking at exactly the same risk as Florida. Florida has done the right thing, and, and as well as a number of other American states. There's absolutely no reason why life should not get back entirely to normal, with the singular exception of increased protection for the vulnerable, the elderly with comorbidities in nursing homes, where there are established methods that do not require vaccination in order to achieve that objective. They're called infection control manuals, 
They're getting dusty on the shelves. That's how we control superbugs in hospitals. I've been on infection control committees in hospitals. I know what I'm talking about. And in addition to that, all, all old people who are by definition vitamin D deficient by virtue of never getting outside, they should all be on vitamin D supplementation, at least 5,000 international units a day, which has been well shown in international peer-reviewed studies to be incredibly effective at both reducing the likelihood of getting COVID infection and if you do get it, the, the severity of it. Now, these are measures that should be undertaken immediately. We'll take a quick time out, come back and discuss further with Dr. Roger Hodkinson right here on The Richard Serrett Show. Stay with us. Just having a little chin wag on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. Hodkinson. Let's talk a little bit about vaccines and children. We have jurisdictions here in Ontario where public health units have decided parental consent is not required in order to give the uh, shot to minors, 12 to 15 year olds. I cannot imagine something so pernicious, so odious that a child could be given a vaccine, regardless of how you feel about the safety and efficacies of vaccines, without parental knowledge or consent. What are your thoughts? I couldn't agree more with you. It's state-sanctioned child abuse on a scale that's never been seen before. It's intuitively obvious that a 13-year-old cannot understand the risks here. Furthermore, the, the definition of risk has been supremely suppressed by government, by colleges of physicians and surgeons, by politicians, um, by the mainstream media, etc., etc. So that there's no information out there. For example, um, I'm on a, an international committee which is looking very urgently and very seriously at very plausible reasons why these vaccines could produce infertility. Now, let me underline the neon. I'm not a scaremonger. I'm an evidence-based guy. But if there's evidence of possible infertility and we're injecting this stuff into children, then it's a need to stop the train now. Investigate first, because these issues have not been looked at. You cannot look at infertility if you're only doing a trial for six months. The last time I checked, pregnancy takes nine months. So the scale of risk here is gigantic. It's not needed for children in the first place because they're not dying of this condition. There'd be no deaths from COVID under 19 in the province of Alberta. And I think the same applies internationally. So why are we vaccinating children for a problem that, that, that they're not going to get any, any, um, any complications from? if at the same time is potentially extraordinarily dangerous. The whole thing is utterly mad and it's massive child abuse. It should stop immediately. I've heard some reason that children should get the vaccination, not because they're at risk, but because by vaccinating children, it can help prevent the spread of the virus. Your thoughts? No, no, children are not spreaders. That's been nailed shut. Um, that's, that's pathetic. That's an argument by the teachers' unions. A teacher is more likely to die of a head-on over a period of a year 
a teacher is more likely to die on the road from a head-on collision than dying of COVID contracted in the classroom. It's the teachers' unions using their muscle to have their teachers stay at home on a salary, thank you very much, that we're paying for, for absolutely no reason whatsoever. Children are not spreaders. The off-label use of the vaccines, for example, AstraZeneca and mixing AstraZeneca with another vaccine because people are hesitant, perhaps, after the reports of uh, adverse effects. Also, extending the shelf life, if you will, of the AstraZeneca. It was supposed to expire May 31st, and now, somewhat arbitrarily, Health Canada says they're good until July. What are your thoughts on this confusion You can go down too many rabbit holes. The bottom line is the vaccine was not needed. The vaccine is experimental. And anyone taking the vaccine is subjecting themselves to the biggest medical experiment in history. It's obviously, there's obviously been no controlled trials of mixing different products, quite apart from the same product that was not tested in pregnant women. It was not tested in children. It was not tested in significant numbers of elderly people. This is a totally untested, highly experimental vaccine for a reason, for it being introduced for a non-existent reason. People have, politicians have got to get their head around the fact that medicine is utterly impotent in 2021 of controlling this pandemic. We're very sophisticated in many ways, but we cannot win this one. We have to accommodate to it. So much damage has been done uh, with regards to trust in in, in public health. Uh, how would you gauge that level of trust or mistrust in our healthcare system and our public health officials uh, here in Canada? And and uh, what do we do to restore that? Oh, I, I couldn't agree more with you. The average person, despite the absence of information which has been kept from them, the average person gets it. If you keep on doing the same thing over and over again for a, for a year and it's not working, guess what? It's not working. But I'll also add one other thing. These bureaucrats and politicians who think that they're being protected from any liability by statute have got a big wake-up call coming because immunity is relative. I'd like to remind everyone listening that seven so-called physicians swung after the Nuremberg trials. They were not protected by immunity. They did terrible things. The medical officers of health across this country are practicing medical malpractice on a gigantic scale, simply because the hurt from lockdowns vastly exceeds any potential benefit, and there is no informed consent for this vaccine. To call a vaccine safe on the evidence that we have would be reasons for an individual physician being sued for malpractice. Why are these medical officers of health considered so different? They're physicians. They're practicing on society, not a particular person. And they should be brought to task because they are responsible for directing the traffic. More of my conversation with Dr. Roger Hodkinson when The Richard Serrett Show continues. Let's rejoin the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. Welcome back. A few minutes remain with Dr. Roger Hodkinson. If you were on the science table here in Ontario, how would you help our premier work his way out of this mess? What would you say to him? 
I've been saying the same locally. Politicians have to wake up to the fact that nothing can be done. Accept the fact, but just stand it in the ground, fire a few people, heads, heads, heads should roll. Obviously not the previous. They want to protect themselves. But you need to, they need to put their standard in the ground and say, look, I got terrible advice. We were wrong. We're reversing course. Everything's open tomorrow. And their star would rise because people get it. They would appreciate someone who had the balls to fess up and say it's back to normal tomorrow, just like DeSantis in, in Florida. Instead, they're doubling down and it gets even worse. We're talking about you know, children being vaccinated. We're talking about vaccine passports. All for something that's no worse than on, on, on balance, no worse than a bad seasonal flu. Get a grip on yourselves. It's outrageous that it's being taken to this extreme. There's simply not a problem of that scale. Or as the Americans said recently, it's a nothing burger. Get used to it. Accommodate to it like we did with previous flu epidemics. You stayed home. You had chicken noodle soup. You sprinkled it with Tylenol. And you decided when you'd go back to work. No testing was required at all. That's how we manage things personally with great responsibility. And it worked. Despite all the cost-benefit analyses that have that have uh, shown that the lockdowns uh, don't work, statistically, you know, the delaying mortality is even negligible. Of course, the costs are incalculable. Uh, but it seems like the mainstream media has embraced this as a model for the next time, and there will be a next time. What is your greatest concern or fear after we get through this pandemic, if we ever do? Well, the Prime Minister's been very clever, hasn't he? He's put bucket loads of money down the throats of the mainstream media, and you don't bite the hand that feeds you, do you? No, I mean, th- there is a serious risk that come next fall, um, when some other virus um, appears uh, of a relatively minor nature, that there's going to be this massive overreaction again. I mean, are we going to shut down all Western economies for six months every year with everyone walking walking around wearing masks looking like robots children not being able to see facial expressions it's so ridiculous it's we have to accept living with it and accommodating to it just like we accommodate to the risk of driving to work every day and being killed with a head on governments cannot protect everyone from everything the nanny state has to back off and let us live our lives normally and accept risks that are integral to living. Based on what you've read and heard thus far, the growing amount of evidence coming out regarding the origins of the uh, the virus that causes COVID-19, what do you think about the Wuhan lab leak theory at this point? It's, it's solid. Um, Fauci has his sticky fingers all over this. He offloaded gain-of-function research to Wuhan, the lab notorious for its biosafety record. It got out on a pair of, pair of dirty shoes and was on a flight to Milan faster than you could spit. That's the start of it. It wasn't malicious by the Chinese at all. It was simply bad laboratory practice of a, of a type of research gain of function that should be stopped everywhere internationally. Rather than Trump calling that a China virus. I'm a Trumper, by the way. I think he's a savior. He was the savior of democracy, but he was dead wrong on multiple issues with COVID. 
rather than calling that a China virus, you could much better describe it as a made in USA virus. Are you concerned about variants? Should we be concerned about variants? Not at all. This is an RNA virus, and RNA viruses mutate all the time, utterly predictable. That's why we have a different flu vaccine every year. That's another RNA virus. No, it's another scare tactic. Even if a a variant is slightly more transmissible, I say that's a good thing, not a bad thing, because it builds herd immunity the natural way, with the whole virus, not a bit of it, in a much safer mode, rather than an experimental vaccine. It's also cheap and immediately available. So, no, this is another scare tactic by government. It's, it's a pandemic of fear rather than a pandemic of disease. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you think is important to address? I think Ontario should stop offering free ice cream to get kids to subject themselves to an experimental vaccine. It's outrageous what's going on out there. 13-year-olds cannot make their mind up, and this is a highly risky, massive inv- vaccination program that is tantamount to state-sanctioned child abuse. Dr. Hodkinson, thank you so much for your time. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much. All right. Dr. Roger Hodkinson, a former pathologist with the City of Edmonton's Medical Examiner Office, trained at the Royal College uh, and uh, Cambridge University. And, uh, well, as you can see, not mincing, or here, rather, not mincing words. And uh, uh, I thought that was rather, rather instructive. Uh, What else can we say other than uh, we'll do it all again tomorrow? We are going to uh, try and get uh, uh, Chief um, Henry McLeod, Harvey McLeod, my apologies, Dr. or Chief Harvey McLeod uh, on the program to uh, talk about the residential school out in Kamloops where they uh, discovered the remains of uh, over 200 uh, tiny souls. And uh, he attended that school along with his siblings, along with his parents. And uh, obviously, uh, this is something that has to be addressed in a serious way. We, 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 we simply can't uh, go on this way and, and talk about tearing down statues as if that's gonna solve anything. Uh, it will not. Um, it's, it's time to uh, look ourselves in the mirror and figure out how we're gonna fix this. All right, that's it for me. My thanks to uh, Jody and Brandon. Back tomorrow with uh, a brand new show, The Irascible But Lovable Lou, the German phrase of the day, news not in the news. We'll push back against climate change with Tony Heller. And uh, there'll be much more. The Brian Crombie Hour is next. I'll talk to you tomorrow at four. Don't be late. Until then, I remain unbowed, unbent, unbroken. That's it. That's all. For more Richard Serrett Show, podcasts, blogs, and other stuff, go to saga960am.ca. Stop talking past each other and start talking with each other. We'll see you tomorrow afternoon at 4 on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga960am. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? 
President Biden's administration is making major decisions and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy.